0: This is On The Fence Physio, a project designed to drive discussion around those gray topics in physiotherapy. If a professor ever answered your question with, it depends, this is where you want to be. We might not figure out the correct answer, but we will try to answer the question in every single possible way. This is a discussion forum directed at healthcare providers around issues in physiotherapy, but we also welcome viewpoints from patients. That being said, this podcast is not medical advice. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, seek out a legitimate licensed medical provider. Now, onto the show. Welcome to episode three, Trace, for our Spanish speaking listeners. Um, of On The Fence Physio I am again your host, Andy Wiseman I am joined by everyone's favorite co-host
1: Matt Owens here with you yep. How are you doing tonight, Andy?
0: Uh, doing great Haven't uh, gone crazy at all From all the at-home time I have everything under control Totally organized, motivated to do everything And a great liar
1: how many miles have you run in the last three days since you've sweated I have through three
0: units? So much mileage that my waterproof headphones are no longer waterproof. <laughs> um,
1: it sounded like they were drowning it, earlier when we did our sound test. So, yeah, <laughs> nice. yeah.
0: and uh, I, I uh, like and I run in a swamp. DC is both a political swamp and an actual <laughs> physical swamp, and the humidity is like a hundred million percent. So. I get sweaty.
1: You get sweaty, and that the earbuds couldn't handle it. Yeah. Couldn't handle it. That's good, man. So, what are we talking about tonight?
0: So, um, for our auditory listeners, since everyone is a listener and no one can see the video, I'm holding up one of our great posters that we've designed for On the Fence Physio Resource. And Matt is so stunned by how beautiful and colorful it is that tears are coming down. From both eyes, big crocodile tears. He's just in awe and wonder of how wonderful oh, these just, things are. And I was just great. doing some,
1: I was just doing some meal prep for tomorrow. These onions, you know, I don't know. No, and I, you say we, but I, I didn't do any design. Andy did it all. They're awesome. If you are we keeping them in the Google Classroom? However we will distribute them? Put them on Twitter. they they're. I think they're really good. i I think they're um, very informative, easy to read, and um, filled with some good uh, nuggets for both uh, clinicians and patients.
0: Great that you bring that up too because uh, we are going to do some logistical shifts now. I'm sorry, all you listeners out there, we're going to ask you to shift <laughs> away from the Google Classroom, uh, not really getting the outreach that we wanted with the Google Classroom, not really as easy as we thought it was going to be. So we're going to be shifting the podcast to Anchor, which is an app that will provide us uh, a little bit more um outreach and getting the podcast out there and then i will be putting some of our hard resources onto a google drive and we'll be sharing that link via twitter since twitter is how we reach most people so again if you're not already following us on twitter at otf physio follow us join in in the conversation what are we conversing about this or what did we converse about this month? yeah
1: so this past month our discussion revolved around uh, the incidents when either a patient or another met- medical provider requests a specific type of treatment and how you respond to that if the treatment, in your opinion, as a physical therapist, is indicated and evidence-based or if it is not.
0: So has this ever happened to you or is this just a, oh, a crazy idea?
1: Um, yeah, this has happened to me. Uh, so for an example of uh, patient request, we still have patients uh, who come in regularly and ask for that. What's that uh, like thing that you rub on people and there's like ultrasound or sound waves or something and it does something right that makes my muscles like recover faster or something like that. So uh, yeah, so I'll have patients ask for that, all manner of tapes, joint manipulations needles, certain exercises. Uh, And then from a physician standpoint, um, we do get the occasional uh, iantoparesis script referral without medication, which you brought up a good point about that in the Twitter feed this uh, month. And then I have a specific spinal uh, surgeon um, or uh, spine specialist, I guess, not just surgery only, but on all of his uh, scripts for patients, he uh, lists out they will patient will receive Williams flexion, core stabilization, hip strengthening, no extension based exercises ever, no matter what. So um, that's an interesting one as uh-huh. well that we can go into uh, uh, later. They'll so never
0: stand up again.
1: <laughs> They'll never stand up again. So yeah. Yes, so, yeah, it happens to me. How about to you, Andy? What's your experience uh, been with
0: that? Yes, um, I would love to share just one particular story of how I was given a referral um, handed to me by the patient where it said very specifically and very well detailed, 45 minutes of medical massage three times a week for eight weeks. And that's it. <laughs> Um, did not even specify the body part. but um medical massage was a was a word I you know just kind of it took me off back because obviously, there's a lot of physical therapists out there that you know get their feathers all ruffled about the word massage. Um, first of all, like how you describe manual therapy is all you know semantics. There's so many different flavors of manual therapy. um and you know, obviously that some of that comes around you know your state's legislation, like I know. Like the Pacific Northwest, they can't they can't do manipulations. They have to do high-velocity mobilizations, right? Does the name really matter all that much? So I didn't get too upset about that, but the fact that I was being told exactly what intervention to do before I even performed any kind of evaluation, like that's what gets under PT's feathers, right? I mean, we're, we're supposed to be autonomous, professionals right autonomous medical professionals we're only supposed to give a treatment if we think it's indicated so what if it is indicated though what if the patient that comes to you and says like oh hey you know like i have this you know knee pain i was hoping you'd take a look at it tell me what you think and give me a couple exercises you know if you feel like there's something i can work on what do you say to that patient
1: well was are typically in my opinion my dream patients <laughs> all right we're both on the same page we've already got buy-in a lot of times they've already done their research um, either through friends their medical doctor dr google and have miraculously come to the same conclusion that i would come to as well and those are Um, patients I feel like it's easy you just reinforce what they're already asking for yes I can do that for you here's the reasons why maybe some modifications and you're off and running Um, I've had those experiences a few times with patients who have come in with uh, we'll say like a radiculopathy low back pain they've done their google search and said oh I've heard something about this McKinsey method and they say like if I do these things and I've tried them and I found a way that if I move this way, my back doesn't hurt anymore. Is that a good? Yeah, we can keep trying that. So I think to me,
0: it's Ooh, like, there. hold up, time <laughs> oh, out, mm-hmm, time out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Throw the last out here. So um, are you saying that if a patient comes to you and says that they've already tried an intervention and whether that intervention actually has any specific um, evidence to support, it being effective or sorry i shouldn't say effective right because a lot of interventions are effective want to talk about efficacy you know um what is the efficacy of like mckenzie therapy i've taken i've taken the classes i've seen the you know the some of the dated research they've done on how you know doing the repeated motions in a cadaver can actually move where the nucleus pulposus is positioned and they say well that's the thing well you know we've come to realize that You know, maybe where the nucleus propulsis is doesn't even really change where patients feel the pain. So is that, does that have efficacy? No. Does it have an effect? Absolutely. You know, patients do the McKenzie thing. They feel better. That's a clinical effect. Great. So if you have a patient that's saying, I'm getting effect, you know, they're getting benefit, you know, perceived benefit from something that they've already tried before they've come to see you, do you ever... Say, well, that's only because it's in your head, or do you always say, okay, great, that's perfect, you did the right thing?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. And I think that would be a good time for the it depends (laughs) answer, right? Um, Uh,
0: We can't hear that. You can't can't just say,
1: (laughs) I have to get on one side of the fence. So I'm going to
0: say on both sides, you can't say it depends, depends. it's not enough. That's the whole thing. uh, Yeah,
1: so so I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump in and typically what I'm weighing in my mind are probably three factors, I'd say so. So one is the treatment that the patient is perceiving benefit from, Mm -hmm. um, low risk for other potential injury, right? Whatever that be. Secondly, is it a patient driven treatment, where they're not going to be reliant on a medical provider, a thing, or an item to be able to continue it, that makes sense. Um,
0: so if they have to go to their shaman to beat them on the back with a hammer. Correct. That's like a iffy zone? It's an iffy
1: zone. <laughs> <laughs> Hammers, uh, whatever that bee uh, dry needling stuff they do is, that's...
0: That's I watched one guy use a dulled hatchet. He was chopping into like upper trap with like a dulled hatchet. Hatchet therapy. Google it. Hatchet
1: therapy. <laughs> you gotta do it you And have you have you heard the the bee therapy? Bee, therapy? bee therapy. Bee. So it's bee acupuncture. They stick bees on you and cup over the top, and they sting you to release endorphins and unblock your energy flows and whatnot.
0: Sorry, I missed the buzz about that That's one.
1: Awesome. Oh. Car. Well, someone died from it because they were allergic to bees, so that's how I heard about
0: it. <laughs> uh, uh, that's shocking. Shocking.
1: So, yeah, all, all that to say. those are the two big things I look at. So if it uh, seems to be a fairly safe activity. So relative risk. Relative risk, and is it something that the patient can continue to do without relying on something or someone else? If it's both of how those, I'll, I'll let them go. Facts. Yes. Yeah. I'll,
0: I'll normally yeah. let them go with it. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I had a, you know, just this, this is good story time, anecdote time, because I um, I used anecdotal evidence one time and was totally right. So Anecdotes are great, um, and I have the best anecdotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so had a patient who was in a MBA, um, you know, had all kinds of like just random musculoskeletal pains up and down, um, but was interestingly a uh, fantasy. Um, author and a um, Nordic troop dancer, Nordic folk dancing. is oh. very interesting fellow. Um, but uh, he uh, after we resolved like ninety nine percent of his little pains through probably time and slow progression into back into his old workout routine, he was still having this hamstring pain, this proximal hamstring pain that just was very, very persistent. And we did all the you know best things that I feel like I could do with them. We you know really tracked religiously how much load he was putting through his hamstring. He had a workout diary that he would bring to sessions. Um we did our eccentrics. Um, I tried to do some like manual things and some modalities things to modulate that pain somewhat. But it was just so persistent and so much so that he ended up going back um, to ortho, get an MRI. Um, they said it was just a you know hamstring strain. No additional impression. He went out second one, second opinion. Again, they told him it was just a hamstring strain. I'm like, hey, you just got to keep working at this. But that wasn't good enough for him. So what he did uh, on his own, went to CVS, got himself some stretchy tape, put that down the back of his leg, and he told me it fixed his pain. Now, I got put in that situation of do I tell that patient, like, oh, man, it's on your head, or a patient that I've had for so long. And just want him to feel better, do I just let him go on believing that? And I think that's where um, what you said, you know, where the relative risk is low. Unless you have a severe glue allergy, (laughs) the relative risk of putting on stretchy tape is low. The cost is low. That stuff's really cheap at CVS. Um, High self-efficacy. He can apply the tape to himself when he wants to do something more active. Or if the pain's bothering him, he can do that to himself. Um, I told him that you shouldn't wear the tape for the rest of his life, so you should try to go without it as much as you can. But, um, yeah, I think that if we have a patient that is getting an effect, okay, having a change because of a uh, intervention, whether or not we think it's the best intervention for them, or if it's mostly placebo effect, I think that it's okay. as a profession that we support that. Now, um, I think you had a a, a thought about, you know, Maybe condiments as a uh, intervention.
1: Condiments as an intervention, yeah. So, well, let's 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 hold the peanut butter for a second. We've already talked about bee allergies, you know. Let's let give our listeners a break from that. Well, what I wanted to ask you real quick about within that is your stretchy tape. Where mm-hmm. like I noticed you're not using any uh, you know fancy name brand sounding things, and then the Twitter kind of conversation this past month. I thought that was a good. Point made by you because there are some interventions with either tapes or bands or tools instruments those types of things that um, can be sold as something maybe more uh, fancy or scientific than they are based on the brand name so if you don't mind go ahead and share with our listeners some of your strategies such as stretchy tape.
0: well before i do that let me grab a facial tissue not a kleenex and i'm gonna go get a cotton swab not a q-tip for my ears (laughs) so um there are a lot of um brands in the world that have almost become their brand name has become almost synonymous with the product they sell and that is a like i don't know that must be like what mark, you know, like marketing people get their hard-ons about is like, can I get to that point of recognition where people just you know, don't even say the product name, they just say, you know, my brand name. Great. Um, so I think that we're putting a lot of power of marketing in their hands as we as a profession continue to do brand name stuff. Physicians are really good about this already. They know the generic names of medicines. They don't do brand name things because if they sell a brand name to a patient, the patient's gonna to go to the pharmacy and look for that brand name. They're not gonna look at the generic. So physicians already know that it's it's not the most ethical thing to be advertising brands. Because if we advertise brands to our patients, if we say like, oh, you need to get this brand of rubber band, like you know, that's we're already talking about an ethical dilemma here. Okay, we're not in the sales industry run the healthcare industry we need to keep those buckets very separate and
1: i think that's a good segue into the peanut butter argument (laughs) so um hopefully many of you have watched the last dance since there's no sports on over the past couple months um about the bulls final season together and their last championship um and in that um docu series the south florida bulls yes um that Michael Jordan played on, yes. Um, there's uh, one of the episodes. Focus is on Scotty Pippen and his lower back injury in a game in the finals, and he's trying to play through it. So of course, they interview the athletic trainer of the Bulls at the time, and he talks about you know using some electrical stimulation, some heat, massage, whatever they could do uh, to get Scotty Pippen back out on the court. So. As that conversation I would say almost devolved on Twitter, there's some uh, back and forth among physio- physical therapists, um, leaders within the profession, uh, one of which said, uh, basically along the lines of you know if you're, you' you're too self-righteous to give some of these treatments to people you don't understand what's going on in the sport, and I would rub peanut butter on this guy's back if that's what it took to get him." Um, back on the court. Uh, So, I posed that question on the Twitter feed to you, and I thought you had a good response
0: to that. So, sure. I mean, what I what I'm going to do here is I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about both sides of that argument. Okay. So, yes, if you have someone in pain, okay, and if something that they believe will help them take care of their pain, if you have a patient who has been previously treated by some other provider and they use some intervention that may not be evidence-based okay? That may be mostly placebo effect or non-specific effects um, that if you provide that they're going to feel better and you know that withholding that from them not giving them that treatment from an empathy standpoint okay does seem pretty bad because you're you're basically saying that your, like, professional, like, demeanor, your evidence-based practice is more important than a patient's pain. So you could definitely get on and say, hey, you know, like, if we're people, if we're about people, if we're about treating people, not, you know, patients.
1: Yeah, we're treating people, not should, bodies, right? We're treating right, people body, not bodies, right. yeah. We're, you know,
0: we're, we're supposed to be an empathetic profession. You know, we should, we should just do it, you know. Um, you know, and it's not wrong use treatments that have non-specific effects. Um, therapeutic alliance, the building of that therapeutic relationship with your patient, you know getting the buy-in, um, engaging with them, and enlisting their help to create goals, um, empathizing with them, that itself is a non-specific effect. And that's been well evidenced in um, mostly psychology research, but now recently a little bit more in physical therapy research is that that non-specific effect of therapeutic alliance can be just as powerful as many of our other interventions. So if you build that alliance, like, is that are you doing something bad there? Is that a placebo effect? Um, I think most people would argue, no. <laughs> it's good to be empathetic. It's good to have a relationship with your patient. Now, on the other side of the fence here, okay, I want to talk about we are healthcare professionals. Okay, We are providing medical services. Okay, so we need to behold ourselves to a little bit higher standard than someone who's in a customer service relationship because the customer is not always right. We uh, have to go through a lot of education, Okay, some health professions more than others, um, to figure out what are the safe things, what are the best things to offer our patients. And we need to educate them on what we know because um, as a consumer, as a healthcare consumer, the average patient is very, very um, undereducated when it comes to seeking out healthcare information. It's not as, I feel like it's not as difficult if you're just like a customer shopping for like a new car, you can look up, you know, like gas mileage, you can look up, you know, the mileage on the car. You can look up, you know, the Kelly blue book value. You can look up that stuff, but like, it's a lot harder to become an educated buyer in the healthcare field. Because how you you know understand like what interventions are out there, which ones have evidence? Can you disseminate you know like medical literature? Like can you you know like is can your average patient you know read through a randomized control trial and realize what methodology is good, what methodology is bad? No. So we have to take on that responsibility as healthcare providers to not just go along with whatever they say, and to educate them and want them know what the best things are out there. Um, the best uh, analogy for this is the ice cream poop. Paradise, I like I right? like ice cream. <laughs> you like ice cream, all right? So if you had a big old bucket of your favorite ice cream, which uh, you're from Indiana, so I'm gonna guess this is mostly uh, high fructose corn syrup in the ice cream. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah,
1: I try to I try to support the corn farmers.
0: Yes. <laughs> um, but if I added a small scoop. A very tiny scoop of poop to that ice cream, would you still eat it?
1: I would have second thoughts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> second thoughts. And if I gave you a bucket of poop, okay, doesn't matter how much ice cream I ladled in there, you probably still wouldn't eat it. So we need to think about that with the healthcare profession, okay? If we have a nice, you know, healthcare profession with a bucket of ice cream, if we have providers that you know kind of come up with wacky interventions um wacky diagnosis you know like models different you know schema that's going to spoil the whole profession because it's going to lose patient trust in the profession obviously um there are i'm not saying that you know all physicians are good all physicians are bad but physicians have come under a lot of scrutiny by a certain sector of the american population because of you know, just this skepticism. So if we want to avoid, you know, losing the, you know, the trust of the, you know, general patient populace, we need to make sure that we all, like, get on board with this idea that we need to provide good, high-quality interventions and treatment and not just kind of whatever the patient asks.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. I, I enjoy that. So no peanut butter on the low back. Unless that's uh, what you're into.
0: Unless it's crunchy. You'd be not nuts crunchy. if it wasn't crunchy. Be nuts if it wasn't crunchy.
1: I think that's a good segue into uh, we had a little bit of interaction outside of the two yes, of us did. in this conversation. So that's, yeah. and that's our goal within this Twitter feed is eventually, I'd love to see, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, 100 people um, giving their opinions and expressing views and being able to have a dialogue as, it's, uh, it seems harder and harder to do that with within the social media sphere. But so we had a little bit of a dialogue.
0: Absolutely. We did. And it was, um, we'll give a shout out to at Taylor Mulford one, because there's mul- obviously multiple Taylor Mulf- Mulfords out there. Um, and probably had time to get on the Twitter feed because he went to university in Montana and <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll just leave the rural joke. Out. You know, I could, I could just go all day. Um, but anyway, I'd like to pitch one of his tweets to you, Matt, and for our, our new segment with uh, now our involvement from the you know PT profession out there. I want you to tell me where he's right and where he's wrong. You got to be able to tell me one example for each. So um, Taylor mentioned that um, vending machine therapy is what he called it. You know, a patient comes in and asks for a specific thing like KT tape. Um, he says the treatment will likely be pretty effective because the patient buy-in is already there. have more effect. What do you think?
1: Well, I think um, Taylor referenced or Taylor won, right? He he referenced uh, a good article by Eric Mara um, about placebo foo, um, is what Eric calls it, and in this blog post, he um, talks about both sides of the fence, and the issue with placebo is if you're using it to enhance a treatment that has a nonspecific effect. So while someone may like their KT tape and ask for it, and you can use that placebo to Hopefully garner an effect. It's already a non-specific effect. Uh, so your, your outcome is even less, we'll say, evidence-based scientific um, than it could be, right? On the other side of things, where Eric talks about this placebo foo, as he call it, calls it, is taking placebo and using it to enhance an intervention with a specific effect. All right, so part of this placebo foo, he references another article that talks about the five E's of your placebo. Um, one is engaging your patients. Two is empathizing with them, educating them about what you're doing, enlisting them, getting them on board with what you're doing, and then ending it, getting a nice succinct package of like, here, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And... I think the point is well made that it should be to improve face validity of a treatment. The example given for this face validity is loading of a tendinopathy in that, oh, my tendon hurts. It doesn't make sense on the surface. Why would I load this tendon more? Don't I need to rest it? Right? It hurts. Why would I put more weight through it? Um, But... Being able to use that uh, therapeutic alliance, appropriate education, patient buy-in, the placebo foo, right, getting them to believe in the treatment that has a specific effect can then enhance that specific effect. So um, that would be kind of where I end on those that side of the fence with Taylor's argument with placebo is I'm all for placebo, enhancing the effects of treatments that have specific outcomes, and we know what they're doing, uh, but... I feel a little um, on the witchcraft side of things if I'm just using it on a treatment that I know doesn't really have a specific effect. I feel a little dirty doing that. So,
0: Which I wonder if, if, if anyone would be able to measure this is would the non-specific effects of employ, employing the 5Es, uh, the if, um, if you use the 5Es of the patient, um, on a on an intervention you believe in, versus using them on an intervention you don't believe in, I wonder if you could measure if there's any difference in effect there. That'd be uh, that be um, just yeah. Really, I don't know if that'd even possible to do in, with good methodology, but it'd be really fun to know. I think that would um, be really like, fun to know. Sure. Yeah, well, I
1: know in, I in, in residency in residency we had this um, reference, and I need to try to find it to an article, a dentistry. Um, research article, did you guys talk about this at all? Any dentistry research okay, so quick caveat dentistry research placebo effect dentistry research dentists believe they were giving their patients a um, analgesic prior to surgery right The dentist did not know that they weren't giving an analgesic, so half of the dentists gave a true pain relieving injection medication to the patient mm-hmm. half. Did not, but didn't know it. And I think they had their control group who like knew it was, you know, uh, a placebo injection to the patient before they were doing surgery. Um, Outcomes from the uh, intervention was the placebo injection group of the dentists who believed they were giving a true pain relieving injection. Those patients felt less pain (laughs) than the patients of the dentists who knew they weren't Yeah, who knew they were giving a placebo. So that was the example that they gave um, within the residency that I went through about, okay, what you believe as a provider has an effect or could have an effect on how the patient responds to it. And in that, they don't try to explain it. They're like, you know, this is kind of wacky, weird. Who knows? You know, like you could try to say what you want. But in dentistry, there is some research to show that what you believe about a treatment affects how your patient responds to it.
0: God, that explains so much. That's why none of my patients get better because I don't believe anything. <laughs> That's
1: right. That's why <laughs> your outcome measures get worse as you learn more. Because you're like, crap, I'm not actually yeah. doing
0: anything. I will say I do see a spike in how well they do around Christmas time. I believe. <laughs> I
1: believe the magic of Christmas. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: so, I guess kind of wrapping things up within this uh, this conversation. Um, Let's let's bring it back to the therapeutic alliance. Um, you posed the question about how is it ethical, is it not ethical, is it good, is it bad to provide a patient with the treatment they're requesting to kind of get your foot in the door, create that alliance, and then steer them towards the intervention that, say, you as a professional think may be truly beneficial.
0: Yeah, I will admit Um, That is the easy road. it is um, to just provide what the patient requests when they request it and then try to slowly shift their paradigm from there. Um, It's really nice, too, when sometimes this lines up is you're doing the thing that the patient requested and they're reporting to you. Yeah, you know, but this pain just hasn't gone away. I haven't gotten all the way better because then you can kind of segue and say, okay, well, we've been doing this thing. How about let's try this other thing, you know, and that other thing is the thing that you would want to be doing in the first place. Okay, That's the really easy way to do it. That's the passive way to do it. I'm not saying that's the wrong way to do it, because sometimes there are patients that if you confront them on the first day that so with something that challenges their paradigm, like that's going to immediately dissolve any chance you have of building a therapeutic alliance. So I don't know how you get good at this, but you just have to lead people during the evaluation and you have to determine, is this someone who is at that stage um, where they're open to learning? You know, they're, they're, they're not dead set on one thing. They're ready to accept, you know, something that might shift how they feel about their body, how their body moves, what their body needs. Or is this somebody who is, you know, really convinced that they're right or they've had you know previous experience before, maybe that's the one that you need to go along with the flow for a bit and slowly try to bring them, you know, back a little bit more towards the scientific aspect of it. But those patients who um, you can read and you know and try to build that empathy, build that alliance with them right away, and not have to provide that uh, intervention that's not the best one, that's better, because then you're not you're not just giving in, you're not just letting, you know, um, somebody who's you know supposed to be relying on you for medical advice tell you what to do. You're, you know, leading the way, which is what we should be doing. These, These are relationships, but they're not like your best friend. They're not your, you know, significant other. This is something where we are a medical provider and they're a patient. We need to be leading that relationship. We need to be directing them towards their goals. I mean, the patients all set their goals, but you need to be helping them get there. You can't just passively sit and let the patient dictate where you guys are going to go.
1: Sounds good. All right. So what's on the docket for next month? Do we have our topic yet?
0: Uh, Yes, we do. I was looking at it. Um, For next month, we are going to talk about physical therapy's role in prehab. Okay. Mm. So, What role do we have in prehab? You know, is prehab great? Is prehab not so great? Are there situations where maybe we know, maybe we don't know? This is a great it depends question. Okay, so talking about physical therapy's role in prehab.
1: Sounds good. I look forward to it. Andy, thanks for the discussion Um, this month. I thought there's a lot of good insights for me personally to think about in my patient care. So I appreciate it.
0: I am glad to be talking to you about this, too, because it gives me someone to talk to, although it's so rigid. Are we ever going to be face-to-face with people again? I never know.
1: Well, if, uh, without getting too far into the weeds to finish up today, one of my patients, a, um 86-year-old uh, history teacher of American history, I was talking to him the other day, and I asked, so what do you think about all this? Like, what's your what's your take? And he looked at me with that, you know, like, grandfatherly twinkle in his eye and he's like you know as long as there's a therapeutic or a vaccine people talk about a new normal don't worry about it it's going to just be normal it's how it's always been from the spanish flu to polio to all these things to get a treatment therapeutic it just goes back to normal no big deal and then he looked at me and said now but if you want to talk about systemic racism there's no vaccine for that <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh geez! So hopefully we'll get Uh, to see each other uh, uh. again. All right. Well, you know that is a little bit of um, Midwestern wisdom, but yes, uh, this podcast is hosted by two white, hetero, middle class males, and we are very aware of that. Um, So we won't get into the weeds about um, issue. You know some of the current issues around that, but Black Lives Matter hashtag. Right. I'm throwing it up. Uh, try to be supportive of that movement because systemic racism is a huge issue and more than we can tackle on a physical therapy podcast. So, so with that,
1: <laughs> next time we'll just talk yeah. about prehab. <laughs> yeah. All right, Andy, I'll see you next time. All right. Bye bye.